Good morning, Sun Valley. Children, you can be dismissed at this time to go to Children's Church. rest of you can turn to James chapter 5 if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, there's most likely one in front of you in the pew. James chapter 5. As you know, the book of James is a collection of tests of authentic faith. We've been studying this book for a few months now. And as we've worked our way through this book, I think all of us have been um, challenged in our faith, at least at some level, a few times as we've studied, prayed through this book and seen the test of faith, seen our own life and the reflection of the Word of God. But before we go on today, I just want to remind you of a few things that, that are important to remember as you read through the book of James. And the first is, is that James has been asking us to um, examine the trajectory of our lives, not a one-time snapshot. And the reason for this is that at any given moment, someone may take a snapshot of their life and conclude from that picture that they're not converted. I can't know Jesus. Look at my life right now. So that snapshot approach may also fool you into thinking that it's okay because at this very moment, I seem to be walking with Christ. At this very moment, I seem to be living by faith. And so James discourages us from looking at our lives in these snapshot modes, but look more as a trajectory. What's the direction of your life? That's the first thing I need you to remember. Secondly, I want you to remember that there may be ongoing or repeated failures or sin in a particular area of your Christian life, that makes you wonder whether or not you truly know Jesus. I mean, why do I keep doing this? I've asked for forgiveness, I've confessed my sins, I've asked for prayer from my small group, and I keep doing this. So you may be discouraged about your Christian life because of that and wonder whether or not you know Jesus. Well, I don't want to minimize your sin or the work of the Holy Spirit in this matter, uh, but more important than your failure in some area is your response to your failure. When you fail, when you sin, is your response one of remorse, confession, contrition? Or do you just pass off your sin and say, well, I, that's just who I am? Or everybody does it. Or at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I mean, they did fill in the blank. So what is your response to your failure is the question that I think we need to remember as we go through these tests of faith. Um, today which is Palm Sunday, I want to take you to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and again try to help you see more important truth from this same passage of Scripture that we looked at two weeks ago. Let me read it for you. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of faith with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it would not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So here we have a section of Scripture that has been discussed often concerning its meaning. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to continue to focus on the issue of prayer during difficult times that we all face. And I want to do that by asking you, first of all, beginning with the prayers of Jesus, Jesus' commitment to prayer. Um, during his earthly life, he prayed often. And if you are weak and weary, spiritually speaking, um, I want to ask you to consider Jesus' model of, of prayer. So let's, let's begin by looking at the prayers of Jesus. <clears throat> the prayers of Jesus. His commitment to prayer is well documented in the four Gospels, as you know. You can't read through those without seeing um, how much Jesus prayed and the importance of prayer in his life. Uh, he prayed on many occasions for many reasons. He prayed daily in order to commune with his Heavenly Father. He prayed before big decisions, like before he chose his 12 disciples. He prayed over the sick. He prayed over food. He prayed that the night before he was crucified in John 17, remember that amazing prayer? Oh, what an amazing prayer that was in John 17. Um, his disciples recognized that prayer was integral to his spiritual life, so much so that they asked him to teach them to pray. Remember Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray. This is obviously important to you. Obviously, it's working for you. Teach us to pray. And then he prayed what's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really just an illustration prayer. Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, so forth. And so Jesus was consumed with prayer. One of the most famous prayers ever uttered by Jesus was prayer found in Mark chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. It says this, and going a little further, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This prayer was prayed on Wednesday or Thursday um, evening before his arrest. And of course, his father didn't remove the cup. And it's good news that he didn't, right? We sit here saved, redeemed because of what Jesus did on Calvary. And now we come to the close of this wonderful little book of James uh, where he is encouraging his readers once again to be diligent in prayer so that they will have victory in their lives as Christians, in their lives of faith, their walk with Christ. They, James wanted these people, his, his sheep in, in his little flock, to be successful Christians. Um, is that what you want? Do you want to be a faithful, victorious Christian? I know you do. And if that's the case... Prayer is, is very important for you to consider. These, these um, verses here I think are very important for us to understand, um, especially as we've come, we're coming to a close of this book on tests of faith. Uh, you know, you may have been alarmed, you may have been discouraged by some of these tests in this book, um, questioning your own faith. If that's the case, you should pray. 
If you're going through hard times, this book tells us to pray. Each of these six concluding verses that I just read, 13 through 18, contain the subject matter of prayer. And it's not a mistake that James ends his book this way. So let's look at the prayers of the weary. And I would, I would guess that from time to time you've been included in this group, the weary, right? These six verses here are a great primer on prayer. He begins with personal prayer, personal prayer. If you're spiritually struggling, spiritually weak, or weary in a dry and weary land, these, these verses contain great hope for you. Look what it says in verse 13 again. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. I, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I focused on verse 13 specifically by pointing out that we must acknowledge God when we're suffering, going through difficult times, when, or on the other hand, when things are going smoothly, perfectly well. On both ends of the spectrum, whether difficult or, or fantastic, we should be in prayer. We should be acknowledging God. Submitting ourselves to his providence and embracing that providence, no matter what our circumstances. Personal prayer. Now let's look at verses 14 and 15. And I've titled this Elder Prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil. And it says, verse 15... The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven. A lot of questions come to mind here, don't they? When you think of this verse, these two verses, who are the sick? Why are elders' prayers different than anybody else's prayers? What is the anointing with oil thing? That sounds kind of weird. Does the prayer of faith always restore a sick person? Seems to indicate such. Then how come Christians die? Young Christians die. Is sickness related to sin? Why did he use Elijah and the, and the drought to demonstrate the effectiveness of prayer? Well, the key to answering all these questions and more possibly that are in your mind and properly interpreting the passage before us requires us to understand the context. If you're taking notes, write those two words in your notes, the context. <laughs> the Bible is not a collection of random verses that we can interpret in isolation from all the other verses around it. To, to properly understand any passage of Scripture, you must understand the context. And con context is simply that. What do the verses immediately around it say? What do the chapters immediately around that verse say? Why is this verse here and not there? You see, these verses aren't just randomly thrown together and we're supposed to kind of, you know, feel our way through the scriptures. It's not that at all. If we ignore context, we sacrifice clear understanding. Therefore, before I try to explain this challenging passage, a review of the context here in which it lies is important. So, going back to the beginning of the book, and that's the immediate context, James, the book, is the context. He wrote his epistle, do you remember, to Jewish Christians who were running from persecution. They had come to Christ, things got tough, they started persecuting the J Jewish Christians and they fled, they ran. And as you remember in verse 1 of chapter 1, he referred to them as the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. 
They're all over the place. And wherever they found themselves, they were getting persecuted because they were Jewish Christians. Their, their Jewish culture and their Christian religion caused problems for them wherever they went. And so he opened his epistle, James did, with an exhortation to patiently embrace trials, endure trials. Keep on keeping on because God uses those very things to make you into the person he wants you to be. In chapter 5, where we find ourselves this morning, he repeats that same theme. The first six verses of chapter 5 describe the persecution of his poor, financially poor readers who were suffering, even to the point of death, it says in verse 6. Verses 7 through 11 of chapter 5 call for patient endurance in trials and in persecution. It sounds like he's repeating the same things he said in chapter 1. James encourages those uh, who are about to break down under the weight of their trials and their, and their suffering to strengthen themselves, to strengthen their hearts, and to keep on keeping on because God is over all this and working through all of this. So in view of the overall context of the epistle, this book, particularly chapter 5, it is not surprising that James mentions suffering there in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Yes, he's been talking about it for the last five chapters. He, he calls on those who are suffering to pray, since prayer is the thing that strengthens the soul, the heart, the, the, the commitment uh, to walk faithfully with God. Prayer is the thing that connects us directly to the source of, of spiritual power, God himself. In fact, it would have been surprising if, if in a letter like this to suffering, struggling, persecuted Christians that James hadn't mentioned prayer. A, a strong commitment to prayer is, is a key to surviving trials, particularly if they come from persecution. Although there is much disagreement among good men on this particular passage, particularly verses 14 and 15, the context and the content of this section makes the most sense to me if the subject is not physical illness or physical healing, but is the healing of spiritual weakness, spiritual weariness, spiritual depression, and that healing through prayer as well as dealing with the suffering and sin that accompanies those things. I mean, when you get discouraged, when you get weary, isn't that when you're most vulnerable to sin? Yes. And so James says, hey, let's, instead of just going ahead and falling into that pit, let's pray and ask for God's strength so we don't go there. So a closing section uh, on how to help those suffering through spiritual fatigue by prayer fits perfectly into the, full, into the flow of James's thought here. If you read through this particular section quickly, you could easily misunderstand what James is saying and believe that if you're physically sick, you just have to call on your elders and have them pray over you and, you know, put some oil on you somehow, you know, SAE 30, maybe WD 40, whatever, and you'll get better. But if we take a closer look, this wouldn't fit the context. <laughs> what, what you need to see, which I want to help you understand, what James is actually saying is that he's speaking of suffering from persecution and trials, difficulties that we face as Christians, and not so much physical 
suffering, physical illness, or cancer, or a cold. In fact, the word that, that is translated sick in verse 14, Paul used that very same word in 2 Corinthians 12.10. And guess how they translated it there? The very same word. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That word weak is translated sick in James 5, 14. Same word. My point is, there, there is a, a spectrum of translation that's acceptable. Sick and weak fall in the same category. Linguistically. So Paul used the word to communicate spiritual weakness. When Paul was weak from suffering, he was strong because he prayed and relied on Christ. So I want to suggest to you that it might be a better translation of the word in verse 14 to translate it weak like this. Is anyone among you weak? It isn't that we shouldn't ask for the elders' prayer for us during times of suffering and sickness, trial and tribulation. We should do that, which is what I mentioned two weeks ago in my sermon. But, but James's focus has moved beyond suffering to the weakness that is a result of suffering. Being beaten down so much that you can't even think for yourself and much less pray. So call on others around you to pray. Are you being weakened by constant temptation? I mean, we've all been here. Are you tired from some abuse at work? Are you beat down by some dysfunctional relationship? Are you emotionally, spiritually drained? Then this passage is for you. Have you been battling on many spiritual fronts? Have you experienced battle fatigue in your walk with Christ, maintaining a godly perspective in what you're going through? Then pay close attention. You may even have, have fallen in your spiritual fight and you don't know where to turn or who to ask for help. You have, you have maybe prayed until you could pray no more. You've exhausted your prayer trove, so to speak. You may have lost some spiritual motivation, some spiritual vigor, momentum, because of what you've been going through. If you stay there in that place long enough, it leads to sinful attitudes and actions, and so you need the prayers of the elders. You need the prayers of fellow saints who will hold you up. If you've hit bottom and are unable to pray or to faithfully walk with Christ, then pick up the phone and call the elders and we will be there to pray for you and fulfill the promise that we read of in verses 14 and 15. Friends, this is so that you will experience God's healing and God's strength and invigoration spiritually. The elders are used here in this case because they're the ones, according to Scripture, that are supposed to be proven spiritually strong. They're not, of course, exempt or immune to weakness and weariness themselves, but they are the ones who 
typically are spiritually strong and have been given spiritual insight from God for these very things. So we can, we Christians need to remember to call the elders and ask them to come alongside and strengthen. It says, call the elders of the church. If you're weak, call the elders of the church to come alongside and to strengthen, to build up. This is what the word call means in verse 14. It's the word proskaleo in the Greek, and it means to call alongside. Come along beside me and hold me up like an athlete who sprains his, his ankle and has to be carried off the field. That's the picture. The elders are to come alongside and lift up the weak and weary. The Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 has a similar idea. He says this, brothers, Paul said, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourselves lest you too be tempted. See, the wounded, exhausted, broken sheep are to go to their shepherds who will tend to them, who will intercede for them, who will minister to them by God's strength to bring about healing. Sun Valley Church, are you doing this? Are you trying to battle it alone like the Lone Ranger Christian? That doesn't work. It never has. These verses encourage us to live as a body, to support one another, so that when then this life is over, we will be together in glory, having experienced the support of a local body and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit through the Word. The anointing with oil thing is an interesting practice. Kind of weird if you're not used to it. Um, after some research, though, I've learned that the idea here is not so much some ceremony, ceremonial anointing that's in view. If there is any ceremony, all it's talking about is a consecration, setting that person apart, saying, God, you deal with this person, minister to this person, strengthen this person, setting them apart for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If consecration is in view, um, it, it seems though that James has a more practical thing in view, a more medicinal thing in view. In James' day, medicine was fairly primitive and to rub oil on a wound or a sore muscle was the common practice. That's what they did. Oh, you've got a broken arm from being beat in the public square? Bring some oil. Let's rub oil on this guy. That's what James was talking about. So, so what James is likely saying is that the elders would come, pray over the weak person, the spiritually weary person, and in, in an act of kindness, rub oil on their wounds while they were there. They were simply taking care of them, ministering to their needs. Being good shepherds. That's all that's in view. It's not some magic chant and a drop of the oil and a little smoke. That's not what's going on here. It's very practical. Very simple. And I think it's a powerful picture. Our elders should be quick to stimulate, to encourage, to strengthen and to refresh the weak and defeated believers by specifically being in their presence, praying over them and asking how they can help. 
Remember Psalm 23. Verse 5, David said that the Lord anointed his head with oil. And that meant God wasn't there pouring oil on his head. It meant that God was there ministering to him, strengthening him, encouraging him, stimulating his spiritual life, comforting him, as elders should be doing in local bodies. And you'll notice there in verse 14 and 15 that this ministry of the elders is done in the name of the Lord. It means that it's done to the glory of God. It's mean that it's, it's done for the will of him and to, to bring glory to Jesus. God is the one who has made this person whole. And so the elder's motivation for showing up and ministering to the people of the church would be to reflect Jesus Christ as he would minister to a wounded sheep. The great shepherd. And then what do we see next? What happens? It says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. What is that? Why, why, what's going on there? You mean if I go pray for someone, they're going to come to faith? Maybe. But that's not what this means. <laughs> this means to restore. To make new. To bring about wholeness. The prayer of faith, the ministering of the elders to the people, brings about restoration. Spiritual health. Renewed vigor. For the battle. It says something similar in 1 Peter 2. He himself, as Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I still get colds, and yet I'm a Christian. I still get sick, and yet I'm a Christian. So what is this healing thing that Peter's talking about? It's talking about being spiritually whole. Renewed in the spirit. That's what Peter's talking about. This is what James is talking about. It's a way of being, of speaking about spiritual wholeness. So the elders' prayers are intended to restore the spiritual strength and vigor of the person that's being prayed over. It's important to note that the Lord is the one who will raise them up, not the magic of the elders. It's the Lord that does it. So God gets the glory, not the praying elder. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible nowhere teaches that all sickness is the direct result of an individual sin. Spiritual defeat and discouragement, spiritual weariness, however, is often the cause and the result of sin. There's a difference there, isn't there? So sin may not produce sickness. It may, but it most likely it will not. But sin will produce spiritual weariness, which will cause you to fall into sin, more sin. And the spiral continues. And down you go until you're isolated, alienated, and out of the church. Sometimes what you need is loving touch of a friend who will bring you to Jesus and let him touch your soul and heal you. When we find ourselves in those dark places of discouragement, weariness, dry land, one of the first things you need to do is to consider sin. Is there a sin that's caused this attitude? Is there a sin that's caused this particular experience I'm going through? If there is, then what do you do as a Christian? 
you confess it, right? That's why he says here, if he has committed a sin, it will be forgiven. You don't want sin to fester. You don't want sin to, to continue unchecked. In Psalm 32, 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I confess it to you. I did not cover my iniquity. He said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's no point in hiding sin from someone who knows everything anyways. Right? So why not confess it, and which is the first step to healing? And this leads us to verse 16 which I've called or titled mutual prayer. So we have personal prayer. It's important to your difficulties. You have elder prayer, which is important to your um, difficulties. And now we have mutual prayer. These three elements of prayer are critical to your spiritual health. So we take a step in this direction of mutual confession, mutual prayer at Sun Valley Church every single week. You did it this morning. Whether you meant it or not, you publicly confessed sin this morning when you read that public confession out loud. Now the simple question is, did you mean it? Our, our corporate confession is a time where we acknowledge sin to one another. I'm not talking about your sin during the confession. I'm talking about my sin during the confession. But I think James here is moving beyond a, a general public confession. I think what we do is, is very appropriate and blessed by God. But I think James is moving a little bit beyond public confession. I think he's instructing believers to be transparent with one another. Are you such? Does anybody in your life know your struggle, your weariness, your weakness? Or are you that stalwart, at least on the outside? James is still interested in bringing renewal and restoration even here in verse 16. After personal prayer, after elder prayer, he's still pursuing this wholeness, this restoration through transparent corporate confession. Where you mean what you say when you read the confession. Where you're transparent with a close Christian friend about your sin and struggle. Or your small group maybe would be a better place. James wants restoration to the weak, sinning saint that has been beat down and is battle-weary. His strategy shifts from the elders' prayer to having the whole church pray. It's like James is saying, don't wait until your spiritual strength is so drained that you won't be able to see straight. Take your sins and concerns to the body of believers who love you, who struggle with the same things, and ask them to pray for you, to lift you up, to support you. Are you doing that, Christian friend? To anyone? With anyone? Do you ever personally hear the, struggle, the genuine cries of the heart, struggles of sin that some other Christian in this body is going through? Do you ever hear that? Do you ever share that? If not, how do you expect to be healed? You, you waiting for some 
magic wand or something? By the way, time doesn't heal sin. Confession does. So it's not like you can ignore it long enough and it'll go away. Oh, your conscience might be calloused and get a little more difficult to deal with. But the sin remains until confession. I've said this often. You're one prayer away from being right with God. One prayer away from being right with God. But you must pray. This is what 1 John 1 9 says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. His faithfulness and, and, and justice in forgiving our sins awaits our confession. The healing that, that we desire through, because of our spiritual weariness and battle weariness awaits our confession. So don't wonder why you keep struggling with something if you've never confessed it to somebody who tr you trust or never called an elder to come and pray with and over you. This may be news to you, so I'm glad you're here. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service to come forward and pray with an elder or a small group leader if you're in the room. And confess whatever needs to confess and be prayed over. So if you're an elder or a small group leader, we ask you to stick around after the service and we're going to pray for people. You see, the isolated believer is the most vulnerable believer, isn't he? Isn't she? Sin's strategy, Satan's strategy is to divide and conquer, to cut the weak one out of the pack. The weak and sinning believer will drift for many different reasons that include shame, fatigue, vulnerability, habitual defeat. But God knows that if sin is exposed and confessed, the wounds can be treated and healing can begin. So don't remain in that state of fear, of hiding. Confess it so healing can begin. Friends, listen to this gospel truth. You and I can be agents of restoration in each other's lives. You, you can be a participant with God Almighty in building up the faith and spiritual strength of a wounded sheep if you'll just but participate in the body of Christ. You can be an agent of restoration. We can be used of God. Think about that amazing truth. We can be used of God, a tool in his hand to heal one another, to strengthen one another. And you don't have to be a trained counselor. You just have to know how to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help my friend. Can you do that? Then you can be an agent of restoration. God awaits our prayer. So let's begin by being honest with each other about our sin. 
and believe what the Holy Spirit has given James to write. If you will confess your sins to one another, you will be healed, it says. And I think the most ideal place for these types of significant and transparent relationships that are required of this, that, that this has to hap happen in, is the small group ministry. It is so easy if you're not in a small group to be the Lone Ranger. So are you struggling? Are you weary? Are you battling a particular sin? Is there a sin in your life that you just can't shake? Well, have you confessed that sin to a few trusted Christian friends? Have you called the elders to pray over you? This is the path to victory. Right here in front of you. And James ends his encouragement here with this amazing illustration of Elijah to describe the power of prayer. I like the NIV translation here better. It says in verse 16b, uh, or the second half of verse 16 in the NIV, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's a wonderful translation. An illustration of the power of this kind of prayer is this man, Elijah. And notice that James says he's a man just like us, with a nature just like ours. He's not a superman. He's a man just like you and me, Elijah. Yeah, but he was a prophet. Well, so what? You're not. He was a man. And the Bible records his manhood. It says that he lacked faith. It says that he got hungry. It says that he got angry. He got depressed. He was intimidated by others. This is Elijah. Does that sound like you? It sounds like me. He was a man just like us, James said. Nature just like ours. But he prayed fervently. So, even if you lack faith, even if you have human weakness, get depressed, if you get intimidated by others, you can still pray effectively. When Elijah prayed, it didn't rain for a few years at his request. And so Elijah was responsible for the beginning and end of a serious drought. He would not be a friend of you farmers. James uses Elijah, Elijah rather, as an illustration not only because we have a lot in common with him, but because this particular illustration, this picture, is the same kind of picture that we see in our minds when God answers the kind of prayers that we're asking. We're in a dry and weary land. Our soul is parched. And when God comes, healing, abundant pouring out of restoration comes, like the rains that came as a result of Elijah's prayer. So if James were speaking of some kind of physical healing, as many have interpreted verses 14 and 15 to say, this illustration makes no sense. There are plenty of physical healings all over the Bible that came as a result of prayer. James didn't use those. Elijah himself healed people as a result of prayer. Why didn't James use that if he's talking about physical healing? Here's why. Because he wasn't talking about physical healing. 
He's talking about spiritual restoration, refreshment, invigorating of the spiritual life. And so he brings about this prayer of Elijah where God restored the land completely, refreshed it, renewed it by rain from prayer. Are you weary from the battle? Are you burdened by sin? Do you feel helpless in your fight? Friends, pray. Pray by yourself. Have the elders come pray over you. Confess your struggles with trusted Christian friends and pray, pray, pray. And then expect restoration and healing. Why should the elders pray over the people in their church? Why should you pray for people in the church? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And in Christ, who's righteous? We are. So pray and honestly confess your sins and ask for prayer from your small group. Ask elders to come and pray over you in your home, at work, here at this building, wherever. If you're not in a small group, join one. Then I hope you will have genuine and intimate relationships with trusted Christian friends who you can share with and begin the process of spiritual strengthening, of healing. Again, let me close with this. Do you need someone to pray for you this morning? If so, we're going to have a couple elders up here at least, maybe some small group leaders up here to pray for you. Just come, tap us on the shoulder, and we will ask you if there's anything that you need to confess. And if, you, if there is, you can do that. And then we will pray for you and ask God to strengthen your soul and reinvigorate your spiritual life. It would be our joy to do that. Pray with me. God, I know that we have people in this room who are spiritually weary, who are discouraged in their Christian life, not really sure if it's even worth it. And those, there are some of those who are a little skeptical of this idea of prayer and being prayed over. I pray that you would have them push through that by your Holy Spirit that they would put their personal pride in the background and allow the Holy Spirit through the principles of his word that we've heard this morning do his ministry. God, bless our church as we pray for one another. Bless those in this room who will uh, listen to what James has said, who will apply what James has said, who will begin the healing process that James desires for all of us who follow Christ. I pray this in the name of our great healing Savior, the great physician of souls, Jesus Christ himself. Amen.